Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the mental strength and conditioning coach, author, and speaker. It's Gary Fay. How are you doing today, Gary? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Alex. Mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we're so excited to hear all about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do is with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up. Yeah, look, I'm a, uh, I suppose I'd like to call myself a regular guy from Western Sydney. It's a working class area of, uh, of New South Wales in Australia. Um, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm, I'm not from around your parts. Uh, but yeah, a regular guy. We, uh, we grew up playing sports. Um, you know, rugby league was, was our sport of choice where we were. Uh, cricket, again, perhaps not, not games that are too familiar, but uh, um, that was what we did back then. Uh, I, was, I was okay at school. Um, had a good group of friends. Uh, when I grew up, there's no internet, no uh, no Facebook, no Instagram. So we were outside, um, you know, until the, the streetlights came on. Uh, that was growing up. And, uh, you know, that, that pretty much sustained me for, for most of my uh, childhood teens, always into sport, always hanging around with people and uh, enjoying, um, enjoying team activities. Um, and then I subsequently ended up uh, joining our federal police and, and spent a good 18 years there. So it was a pretty standard upbringing, good, uh, good family. Uh, my parents are still together. We're still very close. I'm an only child, probably explains some of my behavior, but uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty standard for me or I thought it was standard anyway. What was something you enjoyed about each of the sports that you played? Like you said, rugby and cricket are not something that's big in the United States, but I didn't get into rugby until college. But ever right. since then, I like enjoy it and try to watch it as much as I can. Yeah, look, there's there's no not a lot of comparisons in or ability to compare sports across the, the, the countries. But, you know, if you were going to line them up, our rugby league is probably as close to your NFL if there was a if there was a um, something that was similar in the US, cricket is baseball. Um, what I loved about both of them is is the the team aspects. Um, you know, actually being a part of a team and having your uh, your job being important to the team's outcome and, and other people relying on you. I suppose it was, uh, uh, you know, it's something that I enjoyed even through my my careers uh, as I go uh, as I've moved forward has been being the guy that people could rely on and. Um, being part of a team is is something where that's uh, that comes to the fore, uh, and you know you, you make some great mates. You have uh, you know lifelong friendships. Um, you know when you go through tough times with people, you 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 know work your ass off and you're training hard and working hard, and you know you go into games every week. You uh, you end up forging some lifelong friendships. So that's probably the best part about it. Growing up, you said you were an only child. Did you kind of use your friends as family in a way? They were the people that you went to for advice or other things, just that conversate like siblings would. Yeah, but potentially, I mean, I was, excuse me, I was very fortunate that um, my parents were very involved in in, uh, my upbringing. So, you know, my dad was my my best mate uh, growing up. I played a lot of football at home with him. I played a lot of cricket at home, wrestling and you know the, the the things you might have done with older or younger brothers and sisters. Um, I, I tended, or I tend to remember doing a lot with my father, um, and you know I was, I was also really close to mum. So I we uh, I went a lot of places with with my parents, and and you know our family friends had kids around my age, so you know they tended to be very close uh, family friends, and 
Um, yeah, it's probably fair to say that, you know, I've had friends growing up that I've considered family and, and I've had, um, you know, we've had family friends and, and their, their families have been considered family. So my network's probably wide, depending on what the, the issues were. I, I probably went to multiple people and, and I was, again, I was very fortunate that my parents exposed me to, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids my age, um, some a little older, some a little younger, so that, you know, I had those experiences and didn't miss out on not having brothers and sisters. As you were getting older, did you have a dream that you're going for or a dream job that you were wanting to pursue? Yeah, I mean, in, into my teens, um, you know, I, I was I, I was very interested in joining our federal police. I, I you know, I, I ultimately ended up there because of a conversation I had with my mum when I was about 14. Um, I, I spoke to her 14, 15, 16 about my desire to, to join the federal police. Uh, it, it's a, um, it was something that excited me. It was something that, that I, I thought would um, would keep me uh, energised and also be a challenge. And, you know, I, I, I always had that dream, but it kind of went away a little bit um, in that I learned that I had to, join, had to um, either have a university degree or a number of years of life experience. So I put it on the back burner to go and do university. And uh, as luck would have it, about a year after I finished university, my mum called and said, remember when you wanted to join the federal police? Well, they're hiring. And uh, 18 years later, I, uh, you know, I, I'd had a very good career there. Something with, you know, or with us in the States, usually you go to an academy and then you go into the police force. What makes it so different with going to university? Is it more about learning and getting a variety of knowledge and skills there and then you can take it into the federal police? Yeah, I, I think, um, so we still had a, a police college that we went to or an academy of sorts that, that we went to to go into the federal police. What, um, what I think they were searching for at the time and, and still, you know, look for is an element of additional life experience. So we didn't just finish school at 17, 18 and, you know, have never been anywhere, have never, you know, thought outside of, of the school environment. Uh, so, you know, another three, four years at university um, adds an additional discipline to, you know, to a, uh, you know, to a young cadet or recruit. Um, it puts another three or four years on their age. So there's an element of maturity that, that comes in there. It wasn't just university. There was, you know, you could have had time in another police agency, the military, you know, lived experience, travelled overseas. Um, a, a lot of it, I think, probably came down to time more so than what the activities were. Um, so I think it might have been more along the age, you know, bracket. If, if I had been 18 going in, it was completely different to 22, uh, to 22 years old. You mentioned that you kind of lost the passion. When did you kind of realize that this is, you talked about the year after that, was that always the end goal was to get into the federal police or did you kind of have a different idea of what happens if I don't make it? What do I fall back on? Yeah. So I I think um, what, what, when I learned that for, for myself, the university path was the most likely way I was going to be able to get into the federal police. And so I um, I took that option, and something I, I had always loved to do was with you know I was PE at school, um, you know health. I was always interested in health and fitness uh, and the body, and so I did a health science degree in order to become a physical education teacher. Um, and and to be honest, probably what happened was I I wouldn't say I forgot about joining the federal police, but I really enjoyed 
the health science degree, I really enjoyed, you know, the, um, attempting to become a, a PE teacher. And so I just had let the federal police slip from my mind. At, at the time when I did join, they hadn't recruited for about five years. So it wasn't something that was ever in the paper, something that I could ever, you know, that I, I kept in touch with. Um, so it, it wasn't that it went away. It just, it, I just had another priority uh, that was ultimately going to help me if and when the opportunity came up to get into the federal police anyway. Talk about that first year in the federal police. What was going through your mind and how was that feeling for you? Yeah, well, look, I was, I was 22. And so it's, um, you know, it was, it was an exciting time for me. Um, you know, I grew up like everybody else. You, you know, you watch the movies and you watch TV and there is a part of you that thinks slash hopes that, you know, that's what your career is going to be like. And, um, you know, there, there are elements of the job that, you know, that do have, uh, you know, a little bit of Hollywood about them. Um, and there is that excitement there. Um, there's also a, a lot of, you know, other, other elements to the, to the role. But I, I was very lucky. In my first year, I, I managed to return back to where I, I lived. So our federal police are all over the country, but uh, I managed to go back to, to where I lived in Sydney. Um, and within a very short space of time, I was on a, uh, a customs boat out in the middle of uh, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, following boats up and down the water, looking for a um, uh, looking for a drug importation. And as it so happened, I, I'll be I'll be honest, I didn't do a lot while I was out there. I was new and I, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but it it ultimately became the biggest white powder seizure that uh, that Australia had seen at that time, and and that probably just excited me. As I said, I, I didn't really I was watching more than doing. Um, but, uh, you know, I was probably four or five months out of the academy when, you know, I'm on a customs boat um, seizing 500 kilograms of cocaine, um, which I appreciate is probably not that big a number in the US, but it's uh, it, for us, it was huge. And, um, uh, you know, and it just really opened my eyes that this, this is, uh, you know, this is going to be an exciting career if, uh, you know, if I, if I choose and, and make good choices while I'm, while I'm in there. Was fear ever a big issue for you? Or did you know that you could expect anything that could be in front of you? Uh, I, I think uh, there was a little bit of, you know, youthful exuberance and brashness at that time, you know, being, you know, 22 and probably, you know, for most of my career that you, um, you know, you don't, I don't think you are drawn to those jobs if you um, are in, instinctively a fearful person. So, you know, the, the, the first point is probably, it's, it's not the first thing that you think about. Um, I will say as different roles came up and different things that I, I went through, uh, there's probably two elements of fear that, that I, I vividly remember considering. One was, um, as I got a little bit older, I always wanted to make sure I worked hard enough, trained hard enough and did uh, and worked on my skill enough so that it wasn't necessarily that I needed to be um, uh, overconfident or arrogant, but that I was as prepared as I could be for as many circumstances as possible. And I think with that preparation, fear is diminished. It's, it's not. It doesn't. It's not totally removed. Uh, you're still always nervous about what you're going into. Um, secondly, I started to discover that a lot of the fear that I had was um, was post events. Um, the adrenaline of what I was going into seemed to override 
uh, a uh, conscious fear process. Uh, as I said, there was always an element of nerves. I think some of the adrenaline, some of the excitement was fear-driven. It's just the way that um, we were able to channel it. Um, but often at the uh, at debriefing circumstances, I would I'd sit down and you know think about what we'd just done and, and realize that the, the circumstances could have gone you know differently. And and again, that just motivated you more to get on top of your game, train harder. Um, you know, work on your skills so that, you know, if something does go wrong, you're in as good a place as you can to deal with it. Was there any time in your days as a, in the federal police that you were proud of what you were doing and feel felt an accomplishment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I'd like to say my career was littered with those, those moments. I, I uh, you know, I spent, um, a number of years early in my career uh, in drug importation, doing surveillance for drug importation. So we were, you know, fortunate enough to take a lot of drugs off the street at, at that time. Um, you know, that, that especially coming from a, a school teaching background as well, I always used to uh, imagine that what I was taking off the streets was heading for the kids that I used to teach. And so that that brought me, a, you know, a, an added level of, of joy and pride. Um, I, I'd also... Um, you know, again, I was probably fortunate at the time that I was in that we also lost a, a lot of experience out of the, the federal police and a couple of roles that ordinarily would have taken five or 10 years to get into. I managed to, to get in, in in two years, three years, four years. Um, it, it's certainly not an event I'd like to have over, but September 11 made a big difference to, to my career. Um, when we expanded our closed protection network on the back of uh, the September 11. Um, and so I joined uh, Close Protection and, and ultimately ended up running the Australian Prime Minister's protection detail. Um, again, another, you know, supremely proud moment. But, you know, that career was littered with pr uh, proud moments, you know, going to East Timor on three hours notice, um, you know, to try and help with civil unrest. Uh, I took off to Indonesia uh, six days after our embassy was bombed uh, to set up some protection on, on our ambassador over there. And, you know, when you, you get put into those circumstances and achieve a, a, a desired outcome, you can, you know, you do feel proud that, you know, not just me, but the, the team and the, and the organisation and the government can, can put things into place that, that, uh, that come off well. And at the end of my career, I ended up uh, running the commissioner's office as well. So it was another, you know, proud moment for me to be recognised as somebody that was not just good operationally, but also was capable strategically and, and uh, with the relationships as well. So, you know, over 18 years, there was plenty of moments that I look back on fondly for sure. What's the biggest thing the federal police has taught you about yourself? Uh, the, the biggest thing it's probably taught me about myself is that uh, being open, available to opportunity and, and saying yes is often, um, is often going to lead you to expand your horizons, expand your, your opportunities, um, even if it doesn't work out. Uh, saying yes and, and being, being open to opportunity uh, was, was something that really benefited my career. And, and, you know, you will also confront people that are... Um, a negative towards towards you when you're, you know, I got a lot of jobs because I said yes. I got a lot of opportunity because I said yes. And, you know, some that I mentioned there, you know, heading to his team on three hours notice. Well, my boss knew that if he rings four or five other people, it's going to take him, you know, two weeks to try and find someone to say yes. Ultimately, they come to people that are prepared to, you know, put themselves out 
um, for the team. So, um, you know, it's it's helped me to say yes, you know, in my in my next life, I suppose, and and um, chase opportunity uh, and be open to to that when it comes. Before you learned that about yourself, were you not a person that said yes to everything, or did you kind of have to analyze what the opportunity was before you actually went and did it? I probably just never considered it, to be honest. I, I never really put myself into that space, and maybe it was just that, uh, you know, as I matured in the in the police, that it became more apparent to me. Um, you know, I had a safe job as a teacher before I joined the police, uh, so potentially I'd already started down that saying yes path or being open to opportunity path before I joined. Um, and, but it wasn't something that was um, that that I recognised, I suppose, until you know, probably midway through my career. And, and it probably did come up to me when people were um, negative about uh, me getting a, a number of opportunities and, and my response ended up being, well, that's usually because when the opportunity comes my way, I say, yes, I don't, you know, I don't worry about something I've got on next weekend or three weeks time or the Christmas is coming up or, you know, and, and uh, you know, I enjoyed being that guy too. That was, that was part of what I enjoyed out of, um, out of my roles there but it's probably something I had in me f- um, for most of my life uh, but something I recognized as my you know career uh, continued on. When you took those opportunities and said yes you said that people kind of were saying like why do you, do you get that and things like that was that more of a positive confidence not like an arrogant confidence? Yeah, look, I, I, I think um, if, if you're referring to, you know, the, the people that would, would talk about it, you know, we see these in all forms of life. And, and you know, I work with a lot of that, that type of, um, uh, you know, mindset nowadays is, is to look for something else to blame when we're not successful. And, you know, people will, you'll see it all over the world where people will say that somebody got the promotion because they play golf with the boss or, you know, that person got the promotion because they sleep with the boss or that person, you know, um, it just happened to be lucky because they were born into the right family or, you know, what it, it, it's a lot easier to uh, try and find a, an excuse why um, the other person got the role. And, and you know, I, I was a, a victim of that, um, you know, and, and to be fair, I was friends with my bosses. But I also got a lot of uh, heat from my bosses. It put a lot of pressure on when you, you know, when you're friends with the boss. And um, I didn't become friends with the boss. And then I got jobs. I was saying yes to work. And ultimately, you know, if you if you have a, a character that resonates with another person, and you know, you, you're going to um, you're going to become friends over time, irrespective of whether they're bosses or not. And you know, ultimately, what I found is most people in uh, positions of of power or responsibility uh, don't choose people because they're their friends. They choose them because they can get the job done. Um, because if they don't get the job done, uh, everyone, uh, everybody loses out. So it's, you know, um, but it's an easy, uh, it's an easy argument for somebody that misses out to say, you only got it because uh, you're friends. Um, they fail to see the amount of hours that you put in the extra hours that you put in the study that you put in uh, the, the, going overseas at a moment's notice that you put in, uh, the missing out on families, birthdays and Christmases that you put in that they're not prepared to. Um, all of those things count. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's often easier to blame rather than to look inward. And I think that's so true. I think a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes of what happens and said they just look at the surface and we all have that opportunity to make that difference. If we aren't getting that goal, 
we have the opportunity to make a difference and still reach that goal. If you're not getting that promotion, you always can ask, well, what can I do better to get to that promotion? So I think people love to take the blame nowadays, especially with social media, phones, the internet, everything. And it's just go out there and do it. Prove to yourself that you're able to reach that goal. If you want to go be a star in in LA, you go and try to learn as much as you can. So I think it's so true. I was always one of those people that takes opportunities because you never know what can happen from that opportunity. It can always go a good way. It can always steer in a different way, but it's always a way for me to grow as an individual. So that's why I kind of agree with taking those opportunities, like you said. Yeah, you're, you're always going to get something out of taking an opportunity, even if it ends you know, in a way that you perceive at the time to be ends badly. Um, there's lessons to take out of it. Um, there's the, you know, there's even just the, the the inner strength of putting your hand up to do something that's uncomfortable. You know, that that's a skill that, that you can grow. And, um, you know, people, um, you know, in all walks of life these days are very quick to, to blame and look for excuses because it genu- genuinely is the easy option. I mean, if if it's somebody else's fault, if I'm a victim, then I don't have to do anything, uh, you know, to make myself better. It can't, it's not my fault and therefore I don't have to put myself out. You know, that's the easy option and and that's fine. Look, people want to take that option. Good luck to them. Um, What I have learned is that successful people don't often listen to the people that uh, that want to blame everybody else anyway. So, you know, it, it becomes a, almost a self-licking ice cream. The people that want to be the victim just talk to other people that want to be the victim and they all get their little pity parties together. And, you know, and, and as I said, good luck. People, you know, free to do whatever they like. And um, the results typically reflect uh, people's attitude more so than, you know, uh, more often than skill level anyway. What was going through your mind coming to the near end of your career in the federal police? Were you trying to think what was next? Was there something going on in your life that was happening? What was going on? Well, I, I think it's it's probably as, as good a time to any that might to talk about. My career didn't come to a uh, an end of my own uh, decision, I, I suppose. I, um, uh, you know, over I was there for 18 and a half years and I was in the middle of these high pressure, high profile um, high responsibility jobs and um, but the last 10 years of my career I was actually battling uh, a major depressive disorder uh, and a gambling addiction and um, I was battling these silently even for a long time from myself I, I, I wasn't able to even admit or acknowledge to myself that I was battling these mental health issues um, and ultimately the end of my career came relatively abruptly because I made some very silly decisions with the use of my uh, my work's credit card, my, the charge card for, for work. Uh, so transitioning out of work wasn't necessarily a, a long thought out process for me. It was um, probably inevitable uh, given, you know, the, the things that, that was going were going on in my life. Um, and then I had to, you know, I, I had some deep soul searching to do and uh, that wasn't immediate either. That, that took quite a, a little bit of time. But, you know, thankfully over the, the ensuing four years, I was able to work with uh, a lot of experts from around the world. I was able to learn from them. Um, and I was able to, you know, be coached, um, you know, by a few of them. Some of them just through YouTube, um, you know, others through formal and informal relationships. And, you know, I, I built my own transition process um, out of necessity. 
um, but uh, it, it was it was something that kind of happened on the run as opposed to uh, well planned out um, strategy. You talked about ga- a gambling addiction. What kind of started you getting into that kind of? like game and stuff like was it like your passion for sports and betting on sports was it the casino side what kind of got you going yeah my um uh, my uh, um, gambling addiction of choice was usually horses horse greyhound race like wrestling racing type of uh type of betting um i'd been gambling since i was about eight years old i suppose i I remember putting bets on when i was eight We, we used to have telephone betting and I, I can remember putting bets on when I was eight. I remember being at our, um, you know, off-track uh, betting facilities at, at 14, um, you know, betting, uh, you know, a dollar, 50 cents, you know, nothing that was out of the ordinary. And, you know, I, I do um, I do mention in, in my book that um, there was other things I did when I was eight that I don't have problems with these days. You know, I, I, I probably had the first sip of beer when I was four or five, you know, just sitting on my dad's lap. And, you know, I, I had, a, had my first cigarette when I was eight. Um, but I don't smoke and I very rarely um, drink. So I'm, I'm not sure that just starting early was was what got me into gambling. Um, but what I did notice is as uh, in hindsight, looking back as I was battling the depression, battling the anxiety, was that the only safe escape that I had was gambling. It was the, it was the only place where the noise would turn off 100% of the time. If I was gambling, I wasn't thinking about anything else. Um, sometimes that would work when I, if I would go training. Sometimes it would work by listening to music. But gambling became the only place that I could really switch off for you know, 100% and I knew it was going to work. So I think over that last 10-year period, and it probably started you know, earlier than that, but the gambling escape um, started to inculcate itself with, with, my, um, you know, with my lifestyle. Um, and, it, and, and as... I was unable to deal with the deeper issues, the depression, the anxiety, the stress, uh, as I was unable to even acknowledge those, I just started escaping more and more and more um, in, into gambling. Um, you know, and, and as I said, over that 10 year period, it, uh, you know, it cost me, uh, you know, a great deal of money, but it cost me a lot more uh, than that um, over time as well. Did your family or friends have any idea or kind of see a change in your behavior and attitude that kind of told them that something's going on because you didn't seem like yourself? Most addicts would like to say no. We'd like to say that uh, our our family and friends can't notice things. Um, Look, I'd also also sought help for gambling um, issues as far back as, you know, 2007 and 8. Um, and most of my issues came to a head in 2016. So I, I had spoken to family and friends about it being an issue in my past. Um, I was, I was also very, I suppose I was a very high performer in just about every area of my life. Um, and, and, and I suppose that probably gave people false, um, belief that I was doing okay. Um, I'm also uh, quite a loud, um, not necessarily confrontational, but alpha male. I don't, I don't necessarily back away from confrontation, and I, I do believe that some people, even though their gut instinct was telling them something was wrong, were probably not prepared to have that discussion um, for fear of of it becoming confrontational. Um, you know, humans inherently don't like confrontation, so 
you know, if they're, they're, they're not typically going to write, they're going to prefer to look for the positives and reasons why I didn't have any problems than to actually, you know, make the courageous um, decision to, to stand in front of me and say, look, something's wrong. And whether you admit it to us now or not, we know, and we're going to, you know, we're going to work through that with you. Um, but as I said, I think addicts would like to believe that people don't know as much as they do. Um, family and friends would probably like to believe they don't know as much as they do. But I think when we all look at it in hindsight, we tend to know that something was off. Um, you know, we, we do tend to notice changes within our friends, within our families. That's probably one of the messages that I, I do try and get out there. You know, you've got to listen to your own gut instincts about yourself. It was something that I wasn't able to do for a long period of time. Um, but you also got to listen to them about your family and friends as well. If, if something appears off, you know, be courageous enough. Uh, you know, I say to people now that I'd rather uh, have a, a mate of mine no longer want to be my friend because I confronted them about their issue uh, than have them leave this world through, you know, through suicide because I wasn't brave enough to have that conversation. So, um, you know, fortunately for me, you know, it, it did get that dark at times, but um, fortunately for me, I was able to, you know, to, to avoid that sort of circumstance. Um, but it's a, it's a very real situation that, that goes on. When was that moment that it kind of turns into a positive light? Things were getting better. You were getting on a new tr- track, basically. Yeah, I, 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 I used to tell people it was a moment. It was July 19, uh, 2018. And, and I, I used to, for about a year, maybe two, I, I was telling people that that moment was it. It was the one moment I, I actually went to my nan's, my nan had passed. Uh, she's cremated with my grandfather. And um, I went to her grave site and, and I was, um, you know, I was brutally honest with myself about everything that, you know, all of my vulnerabilities, all of my, my, uh, my issues, my mental health issues, who I'd hurt, how I'd hurt myself, you know, where I was stood in life, um, you know, where I want, should have been and could have been and, and basically took ownership for, you know, for where I was. It was a very personal moment. It was very, uh, it was very emotional. It was difficult. And almost the next day, um, life changed for me. You know, I still owed money because of my gambling issues and I still had broken trust with family and friends. Um, But my own mental state changed to the fact that I was now moving forward and not focused on the past. I've been holding this past for, you know, for a long time without being able to be honest with myself. Um, So that was my... That was my, uh, I call it my come to Jesus moment, you know, was, the, was that July 19. But on reflection, it actually started in the September uh, the year before. Uh, so it was probably a nine-month process, 10-month process uh, that I, you know, James Clear in his Atomic Habits book talks about casting votes towards the person that you want to be. Um, I talk about signalling to yourself who you are. And I it was, you know, September... 2017, where I had my darkest moments and, and had you know, considered taking my own life. And at that time, I went to the doctor, went to the psychiatrist, went to the psychologist, went to gambling help. And I committed to myself that I would continue seeing those people when every time I said I would. And um, it wasn't always smooth sailing. Um, I was still, I was going to gambling help, but still gambling. But eventually, I started to believe that I was a person who. Uh, you know, I went from a, a guy with a gambling problem to a guy who didn't want to have a gambling problem and tried to change to a guy who was changing 
to a guy who finally changed. And now I'm now I don't even um, I don't even uh, probably characterize myself as you know I, I had a gambling problem. I was a person with a gambling problem. But unlike a lot of people that suffer addiction and even mental health issues that constantly remind themselves about how many days or what, when the, you know, that they've always got to be careful of the issues and the problems. Uh, that's not the way that I manage my um, mental health issues, my addiction issues. Um, I don't go around telling people I still believe in Santa Claus because I did when I was eight years old. Um, I don't go around telling people I'm still a high school student because I was when I was, you know, 16. Uh, so I don't go around telling people that I'm an addict or have depression because I had, um, you know, a depressive disorder and addiction disorder five years ago. I, I, you know, that was part of my education, um, but it's not, it's not where I live anymore. So I've moved on from that. Have you been able to like restrain yourself? Like if you're in those situations where you're near the track or you see it on TV or you hear about it, that you're able to tell yourself that I'm not going to get involved in this. I don't want to have to go back through the situations that I was in before. Are you able to kind of get yourself motivating, kind of branch off and to do something else so you're not in that situation? Yes, 100%. It's... um it. it you know, again, it, it took work. Uh, it, it took a process. But, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I always, for a long time, I actually thought it was the day after I went to see my nan. But surprisingly, I've come to learn it was the day before. The day before I went to see my nan, I probably already made the decision in my mind. I actually went to the races. My dad worked at the races. And it was his last day um, in the place that he was. And, and I went to the races Um and I walked past all bookmakers. I walked past, you know, the races were on. And I didn't even have a, a thought to bet. I think I'd already come to this realisation that, you know, my, my nine months of work had paid off and, and I was at this moment where the escape was no longer needed. I'd been honest with myself. And, um, you know, we're in Australia here, uh, you know, we have something like, I think it's something like 325 gambling ads on TV, on free-to-air TV every day. Wow. Um, there's... There is, is gambling is everywhere. Our pubs, you know, I can I can bet in a pub. I can I can put um, I can play slot machines in a hotel. Um, you know, I can ring up. I can have apps. Um, so everywhere I go is going to be there is going to be something that is gambling related. Um, so you know, it's something that I have to uh, be conscious of. However, I think about gambling probably like anybody who doesn't have a gambling problem thinks about it. You know, I don't pretend that I never think about it. Um, if I see ads on TV, it's clear you're going to think about it, whether you're a gambler or not. You can't, you know, I mean, I, I don't eat yoga, but if I see a yoga ad on TV, then I think about yoga, right? So it's, it's going to be something that comes up into my life. Um, but what I have done is by working through my, um, you know, the process that, you know, kind of evolved in itself, um, I actually battled... And, and beat the issues that underlied my, um, my gambling addiction. And in the end, I was gambling. My gambling addiction was revolved around escapism. And, and once I built my system, I no longer need to escape. So I don't have the deep drive to go gambling. Um, do, do I ever feel like putting a bet on? Sometimes I wonder what if, you know, if I put one on, will that, you know, will that start it up? Um, 
but it's probably the same as I said, I, I don't smoke. And so I don't see people smoking and start thinking to myself, well, maybe I should have one and see if I'm going to, you know, take it up. Um, it's just part of, you know, it's part of my history. And um, as I said, I think I've worked well enough on my mental strength that it doesn't actually come up as a, as an issue for me. I, I sit in the pub watching the races. Um, I talk to my dad about the races. In fact, I'm, having conversations with going to work with some of the jockeys um, in with my, you know, mental strength and conditioning coaching. It, it doesn't offer any fear for me at all. Have you been able to rebuild the trust and the relationships that were kind of strained during this time? You talked about it with your friends and family. Yeah, with, with some, um, not, not with others. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult. So on the back of my issues at, at work, um, I, I used the, the works credit card, uh, you know, to, to fund some parts of gambling, some parts of my lifestyle that I could, you know, food because I couldn't afford because I'd gambled my money away. And um, so that resulted in some criminal um, proceedings for me. Um, very difficult for your police friends to be friends with somebody that's, uh, you know, goes through those criminal proceedings, I presume. Um, and most of all of those, to be fair, uh, dropped off. Uh, a couple stayed with me for a you know, for a while or probably as long as, as they could. Um, but there was also a long period of time where uh, after I got in trouble at work, I, I was still struggling to be a trustworthy uh, person. Um, you know, I was still struggling with my own, uh, you know, issues. And so gradually I, I lost the, the couple that, that stayed with me. Uh, excuse me. I also lost my partner. Um, she was part of the, the, the police as well. Uh, she wasn't a police officer, but... Um, she stuck with me for a very long time, but again, I wasn't somebody that was uh, capable of making um, the right decision or good decisions in our relationship to do with uh, trust around gambling and, and money. Um, and ultimately that, you know, that um, dissolved as well. And, um, you know, that that's a place that I don't think, you know, trust will ever be rebuilt, friendship will ever be rebuilt, um, connection or relationship would ever be rebuilt there. And, you know, that's, it's, sad I, I wish that those circumstances were different and you know with all my friends but um there's also a reality to life I don't spend time dwelling on the fact that it's not going to happen I, I, I understand why it wouldn't happen um and so I move forward and um but then I've also had a lot of uh, like my parents um our family friends and and to be honest a lot of new friends have come into my life that uh, came in knowing the story uh came in when I was struggling um really stuck by me um, through thick and thin as well. And, you know, that's, it's probably made a lot of those relationships a lot more honest um, now that I'm able to, you know, be that guy that, that I wish I was before. Um, so I think I have better relationships now because I've, I'm a lot more comfortable with, with who I am and, and I'm able to be the person that I should be in a relationship. What made you want to write a book and what's the main message you hope someone gets out of it when they're reading it? Yeah, I, I, the, the day I got in trouble at work, I started writing. I think I just started writing. I'll be honest, I was probably looking to blame somebody else. So I started writing all the things that everybody else had done wrong so that I could get out of the trouble that I was going to be in. Um, but as I kept writing and writing and, and you know, the book that, that I released a few weeks ago, um, it looks a lot different than it would have looked if I released it two years ago uh, over, you know, because I'd, I'd done a lot more work on myself. Um, it's really written in two parts. And the first part is my story, I suppose. There's a little bit about, um, you know, how I got to 
um, the top of my game in the you know in, in the police force. Um, and and there's also a lot about how it feels to go through uh, depression, how it goes, how it feels to to struggle, uh, not just not necessarily with addiction, but but any sort of feelings of internal uh, alignment issues where you're somewhere in life that you're just not comfortable with, or you know you everybody looking at you thinks that you're successful, but you're just not you know feeling uh, the same way. You're not feeling fulfilled. You don't feel like you're meeting out your purpose, or as I described it. I, I knew I was struggling for a long time, but I didn't know with what, and I did. I knew even less what to do about it. You know, I was successful. I was a, you know, I was in a very good job. I had a good family. I had a good car, a good house. I had all these things that people told me I should have, uh, that even I believed I should have. But for some reason, I was, I just wasn't, you know, quite right. And so the first part is about how that feels and, and how you can get there. And it's not about gambling addiction per se. It's not about depression. But, but it really is a, you know, a, a story of how anyone can start to feel uh, like they don't belong or, or they're not where they're supposed to be. And then the second half is actually the process I went through uh, that I built, that I now coach um, uh, people to come through those, uh, those circumstances. And, you know, I kind of describe it as taking you from where you are now to where you want to be. And it doesn't matter if you're bounce off, bouncing off rock bottom like I was, um, or you're on the edge of greatness. There's people that are just about to break through that, you know, they haven't yet quite got set on what their purpose is, what their what their goals are, and then they haven't built the strategy to get there. And the back half of the book is is that strategy. When you're helping clients, do you feel that you're doing your part in helping others? Like people have helped you get to where you are today. Uh, a, a little bit of yes, um, but to be honest, the, the way I describe it is that it, I feel like my shit has to be worth something. Um, excuse me for the language if, if you're not talking okay. about the show, but um, I, I, I feel like my, my shit has to be worth something. I, I went through a lot of pain. It was all self-induced. I, I, I brought it upon myself, but I also, you know, shared that pain around family and friends and um and to me, it has to be worth something. There has to be a reason why that, you know, that part of my life existed. And it would be very easy to ride off into the sunset and just, you know, I've got a small gym here in Brisbane. I could just, you know, run that and work as a personal trainer and, and, and be quiet about it. Um, but that wouldn't probably honour, if that's the right word, the, the, the path that I'd taken. And um, so in reality, I you know, I started working with people that were struggling and I, and I still do, especially successful people that are struggling is, is probably my, my niche. But then I started working with people that were like me, you know, 15 years ago, you know, on the edge of success, they've got all the skills. They just need to, you know, put it all together to move forward. And, um, you know, it's, it, it really is just, you know, repaying what, you know, what pain I've been through the, um, you know, there's a, there's a quote by Fedor Dostoevsky that says, um, all I wish is to be worthy of my suffering. And, you know, I've put a hell of a lot of people through a hell of a lot of suffering. And there's a part of me that thinks that this is what I, I need to do. This is my purpose um, and the reason why I went through it. So that's why I end up here. And I love it. I could do it all day, every day. Um, you know, the amount of different people you get to meet, you get to work with, inspire, change lives, save in some, you know, in some sense. Um, yeah, I, I could do this all day. 
So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally in the next couple of years? Yeah, personally, um, I want to keep on my journey. Um, you know, I, I'm in a, I'm in the best place that I've ever been, um, you know, in, in my, in myself. Um, you know, when you, you know, I had a, my, my gambling addiction cost me $2 million. When you, when you have a $2 million addiction, you don't, uh, you know, you don't come out of that lightly. There's still parts of my life that I'm working on um, to become better or to be, you know, as good as I was. Um, but personally, I want to keep the journey going. Um, what, what, I, what I have found is um, when, when, you, when you have strict and absolute goals, uh, you typically stop once you reach them. And, and my objective is to never have a, a strict goal uh, to keep working towards the next best version of, of what I can be for, for myself, uh, for my family, um, you know, for my, my wealth as well. And, and also, um, uh, you know, also for my relationships and my health. Um, so that's, that's on a personal level. Uh, professionally, uh, look, my goal is to impact as many people as I can. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about, you know, I don't have a number um, because if I set it at a thousand people and it ends up being a hundred, I'll be miserable. If I set it at a thousand, it ends up being 2000. Well, you know, what does that mean? Um, it's as many people as I can. And, and, you know, I'm, I would like to build a, uh, you know, a new wave of, of, um, mental strength and conditioning, I suppose, mindset coaching, mental health coaching, um, you know, for those people that are successful and struggling. You know, I got to a point in my life where I started making silly decisions around money. But, you know, guys and girls will, they'll start to consider cheating on their partner. They'll start to make risky decisions in business. They'll let their health go. Um, all because they're not able to have that brutal conversation with themselves. Uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a woo-woo guru. Um, you know, if people come and see me, they're going to get some brutal truth. But um, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to inspire and encourage as many people as I can to say, you know, if you're successful and you don't feel it, there's something you can do about it. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview, based on your journey and experience. What tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? The the very first thing that everybody should do if they want to um, if they want to rise to the challenge, if they want to overcome any obstacle that they have in their life, is to be brutally honest with themselves. Uh, sometimes that comes with pain. Sometimes that comes with upsetting other people, um, and it's 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 brutal honesty without conditions. It can't be I want. Uh, I, I want to make a million dollars, but I'm not prepared to X, Y, and Z. You, you have mm-hmm. to be honest with yourself about what it is that you want. If you love money more than your family, you have to be honest about it. You cannot tell people that you love your family and inside, you know, that's a lie. Um, you know, if you love your family more than you love money, then you have to make some decisions about what work you want to do. Um, something that's going to allow you to be, um, to be spend more time with your family. You have to be brutally honest about what success means to you. Um, it doesn't mean what Instagram tells you. It doesn't mean money in the bank. Uh, I work with a lot of people that success for them is being able to spend Saturday and Sunday with their kids soccer. Um, you know, that that's important to people. That's success. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, what you perceive it to be or what you've been conditioned to believe. So you have to be brutally honest with yourself. You have to be prepared to upset yourself. You don't have to go around telling the world 
you know, you don't have to run up to your parents and, you know, um, you know, be brutally honest with them and tell them how much you hate them because you love money or anything like that. But you have to start with yourself. You have to be honest about what it is you want, who you are as a person. And when you have that clear, build a strategy to get there and follow it. Well, Gary, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future has for you. I appreciate it, Alex. Thanks for having me on and, uh, and good luck with the, uh, with the podcast mission. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.